Hey guys, we are trying to um, be good podcasters and interact with our listeners, which we haven't been doing very much of. So I want to encourage you guys to go over to our Facebook page, which I think is just called History and Hope, and help us interact with you so we know what you guys are getting out of the podcast, um, what you would want to hear about, uh, just sort of your mindset, because we don't want like a one-way conversation. So go to the Facebook page, post your controversial opinions, or funny memes. Memes are welcome. Uh, preferably The Office, Star Wars, maybe MCU. But we do want to interact with our listeners. So go to the Facebook page and leave some comments. Hello, you're listening to History and Hope, a Baptist perspective on history, culture, and theology. I'm Mark West. And I'm JC Groves. Just kidding. Shout out to the Reforming Fundamentalist Podcast. Just trying to get some of their listeners to come over here. Gotcha. Share the uh, share the clicks. Uh, I'm Matthew Lyon. All right. And today our topic is women preaching. Let's be upfront. I picked this title because it's going to get listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you click on a podcast that says talking about women preachers? <laughs> um, but it is Women's History Month. And I think... Uh, well, if we release this Monday, Monday is International Women's Day. And it's a big deal. And the news, there's a lot of uh, preachers railing against women preachers, and a lot of people we know, and a lot of abuse, mostly by men of women. So anyway, uh, what do Baptists think about it? And... More specifically, since we are Baptists, what does the Bible say about it? So, Mark, have you ever heard a woman preacher? In person? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying I to mean, think. we've all heard something. In, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've definitely seen women preaching online. Um, I mean, I guess it also depends. We'd have to define the, the term more, too, mm-hmm. to determine what you mean. So, But I would say, yes, I've, I've heard a woman preaching. And are you still a Christian? I think so. Okay. (laughs) Well, and at this, the title is specifically topic is specifically women preachers, which is different though related to women pastors. And I think most people refuse to make that distinction. They assume it's the same thing, which biblically you cannot defend that. And practically you can't defend it. Uh, Who's the most famous preacher in America? Billy Graham? Like, Everyone knows Billy Graham, famous preacher, known for preaching, never was a pastor. Right. So just right there, the distinction is preaching is something you do. So it's an act like you get up and you proclaim. Pastoring is a role. It's a position. It's a job. It's a vocation. It's an office. So we're not talking about women pastors specifically, though it'll come up. Yeah. And specifically talking about women preachers. Yeah. So two guys are going to talk about women preachers. Yeah. Uh, uh, right, that. like that's kind of the, the history of Baptists and women's to the men deciding what the right position is and then telling everybody else. Yep, it's gonna go great. But <laughs> yeah, what could go wrong? Uh, well, what we're gonna do is look a little bit at the history of Baptists and then look at the Bible, pass it off onto the Bible. So, women preachers, specifically preaching, not pastoring. And I'm not going to tell my position because I don't have a position 100% one way or the other. Maybe a leaning or inclination or opinion. But we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Sometimes I pick up convictions along the way. So it's a big deal because in a Baptist church, historically, it's been... Uh, more, it's been at least half, but usually more than half, made up of women. And the Bible has plenty to say about men and women. And the preaching is a very one of the most important things a Christian does. And also, there's been a lot of abuse, and there's a lot of talk about gender roles and all of those things. So, from a Baptist perspective, what what can we see about this? Okay, so let's let's talk about Baptist history. A lot of people may say, well, Baptists historically have been against women preaching. 
And I'll agree that a lot of Baptists have been against it. But it really depends on where you are, what denomination you're in, and what point in history you are. So, in America specifically, and Baptist history doesn't go back that far, you know, 400 years. So you're, you're going to be almost entirely looking at a Western European American context. So there are Baptists in all continents. The, the, most of the history we have is, is European. So in some denominations, such as independent Baptist, you're not going to see much of it. Southern Baptists, kind of the same, but they're not the only Baptist. So if you go back into like the six, 1700s, Great Awakening happens. There's a lot of Baptist churches popping up. The closer they were to the pioneer frontier, the more they had women preachers. So pioneer churches, you know, Virginia during the 1700s was, was very cutting edge. And then you go out to Tennessee and further. These churches would be started and women were normally part of this public speaking, sharing testimonies, um, even preaching. Then as the play, as the church got established, this is America we're talking about. It became, you can, you can read the minutes. They start establishing rules that only men and then only white men. And the, so that the final position by the 1800s is always only white men can speak. And in a lot of cases can vote so only white men could vote. Wow. So he's like taking it even further than just preaching or speaking. It's even participating in the government of the church, which doesn't sound very Baptist to me. And so what is it? Well, it's about it's obviously about power. And, and whether you think it's good or bad, it's about power. It's about controlling the church who gets to just make the decisions. Uh, but then you have like free will Baptist. Free will Baptists were open to not just women preaching, but actually ordaining women. And there are instances of, of women being ordained in the free will Baptist tradition. Uh, the Northern Baptist Convention, which split from the Southern Baptist Convention, there was one woman, I think she uh, she was preaching, and they said, hey, you should be ordained. And she said no. And then I think 14 churches came together to convince her to be ordained. So she passed her. Uh, the Seventh-day Baptist, a very minority group of Baptists, they ordained women. So if they ordain a woman, the conclude the logical conclusion is that they obviously allow women to preach. Ordaining would be the, the most permissive way of, of involving women in ministry. Uh, black Baptists have always been more progressive, though not exclusively. But I think one of the first ordained women preachers in America was in a black denomination. And that was an ordaining. So but black preaching, women were much more free. So when we talk about the traditional conservative, we're really talking more Southern Baptist, certainly more white Baptist, uh, independent Baptist. But, but it's not unheard of and it's not rare to find women preachers in Baptist denomination, especially if you start asking what preaching is. Because this is where it's distinguishing from pastoring. So pastors preach, but all preachers don't pastor. So what is preaching? And depending on how you define that, um, I would say even independent Baptist churches have had women preachers, though they wouldn't call it that. Uh, you know, what is preaching? Uh, we're not going to talk about what is preaching. That's a whole podcast. Okay, so the history there is, it's mixed. Predominantly male-dominated, but with other mixes. The bigger problem is that it's hard to find women in Baptist history. So Bill, uh, not Bill, uh, Leon Macbeth, who wrote Four Centuries of Baptist Tradition, I think. 400 Years of Baptist History, something like that. One of the, the best Baptist history books. Conservative, I think he was down at Southwestern Theological Seminary. He said, if any of you men ever want to get away from women, here is one way you can do it. Just get into the pages of Baptist history. Women <laughs> will not bother you there. You will find them there mostly in all male world. You will not find half a dozen women even mentioned in several large tomes of Baptist history. Wow. Now, not exactly a ringing endorsement of Baptist history books. And he's, he's specifically referring to the recorded history, the, the Baptist history books. And I did some research, and he's right. 
the older the history book is, the more rare the women are going to be, which is uh, obviously wrong because women are part of Baptist history. So why aren't they recorded in Baptist history? Because the people writing the books were men didn't think women had a prominent place or a visible place. So he said, you're, you want to get away from women, look into Baptist history. Yeah. It also doesn't follow the scriptural pattern of the early church to not mention does not women at all. You'll find more women mentioned in the history of the New Testament, which is only comparatively a few chapters long than you will in thousands of pages of Baptist history. So obviously Baptist historians, myself being one, have written hundreds of pages, uh, are not following scripture, scriptural examples of, of history. And he tells a story, two stories uh, about his history, one from a long time ago and one from his own life. He said in 1885, the Southern Baptist met the Southern Baptist Convention. So the way the Southern Baptist Convention works is once a year they convene. So that is the convention and churches will send messengers. And these are the, like the representatives, not Pat. They don't have to be pastors. They just have to be sent by the church. So. Often you'll have non-pastors go as, as messengers. And two of them in, in 1885 were women. So there's probably hundreds of them there. Two are women. So seven, there are seven messengers from Arkansas representing Arkansas. Two are women. Two days of wrangling over the women could be seated, whether they could be allowed in. And they voted against it. They actually voted to change the Constitution. And where it says members who contribute funds. So all the messengers have to be members who contribute funds. They amended it to read brethren who contribute funds. And here's the, here's the giveaway. You know, sometimes people say the truth accidentally. In the midst of the wrangling, one Southern Baptist man exclaimed, I love the ladies, but I dread them worse. So, and Macbeth goes on to say, in that burst of candor, the brother from Virginia summed up the attitude of Baptist men towards Baptist women through the years. We love you, but we also fear you. We dread you. We are afraid for you to speak out in church. We are afraid for you to assume too much leadership. We are afraid for you to teach in a mixed assembly. We are especially afraid for you to stand in the pulpit unless you're singing a solo, in which case it is all right. <laughs> and Macbeth's pretty conservative. So then he tells a story from his own life highlighting the problems he said he first first church he pastored rural church small one room didn't have sunday school classes and so for sunday school they would pull up like a canvas curtain across the auditorium and the men's class would meet on one side and the women's class would meet on the other side well so he taught the men's class and then an older lady older member taught the ladies class and of course you can hear both sides well he said that the woman's teacher was so good that after a few minutes of just chit-chatting, they would usually just quiet down the men's side and listen to her teach because she was so much better than this brand new pastor who was first, you know, you know how it is. You have new pastors, never pastor before. He's fresh out of seminary. Yeah. And so Macbeth was like, okay. He goes, guys, why don't we just pull the curtain back and just make, you know, just have one class. And he said, the men were horrified. He said, you should have seen the looks on their faces. And one of them said, pastor, we can't do that. That would be a mixed class. And that was the end of it. So they listened to her because she was a good teacher teaching the Bible, but they couldn't, couldn't have a mixed class because women aren't supposed to, to do that kind of stuff. And so I think that kind of sums up Baptist because we don't have a denominational head. There's no rules for Baptists about these sorts of things. And it's not part of our distinctives. So when we went through Baptist distinctives, you never came across the role of women in leadership as part of what makes us different. So a lot of it's just making it up as we go and people, and you can see that through Baptist history, the rules being changed over time, denominational and things like that. So I think what we should do is since Baptist history is not going to tell us what to do, what's the number with the first principle of Baptist biblical authority. Like we kind of, set ourselves up as the denomination or the tradition that is most biblical. We put the most weight on scripture. And what I found is when Baptists, especially independent Baptists, talk about women in the Bible, they don't actually know what they're talking about. 
at a basic level. They they know about the Bible, but they don't know the Bible. And myself, so I, I would include myself in that, and I had to be sort of helped along. And we'll include the book No Little Women in the show notes. That was a big help for me about four years ago, understanding the role of women in the church and from the Bible. So all I want to do is go through Scripture and talk about the places that we've all heard about, right? Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 3, uh, Deborah, you know, the Judge Deborah that everybody talks about, uh, the book of Acts. Not specifically looking at the two passages that everyone mentions, which is 1 Corinthians where it says, let the women keep silent. And then 1 Timothy 2, where it says, suffer not a woman to teach or usurp authority. Because we know those verses and we think we know what they mean. But we do, do we know what the rest of the Bible says about women? Because if all your theology is based on one or two verses, you are on shaky ground. You could be right. But if that verse was taken out, would the rest? Would you, could you find that doctrine anywhere else? And, and a lot of heresies are going to come from one verse in the Bible. Baptismal regeneration, that you have to be baptized to be saved, comes from that one verse when Peter said, repent and be baptized for the remission of sin. And we all understand, as Baptists, no, that's that one verse sounds like that, but when you look at all these other verses, we understand that verse isn't there. Okay, so 1 Corinthians, I think, is it 11? And, and 1 Timothy 2 certainly sound like they're prohibiting women from doing something. So let's kind of shelve those, look at what the rest of the Bible has to say about what women can do or have done, and then see if we can make some progress and, and actually be more biblical. So women are first mentioned, Genesis chapter 1. So if our listeners hopefully will follow along in their Bibles, because one way or the other, you better have some Bible to back this up because it is going to get you in trouble with somebody somewhere one way or the other <laughs> whatever your position is you're going to get into it um, all right so genesis chapter one and verse 26 then god said let us make man in our image according to our likeness let him have dominion over the fish of the sea birds of the air over cattle over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's important because if you leave that part out, you would think that only males are created in God's image. But male and female are created in God's image. So when we start our theology of women in the church, it starts with men and women are in the image of God. So that can rule out a lot of stuff. Anything that that disrespects a woman's dignity is wrong. Whatever you think that verse in the New Testament says, if it somehow diminishes a woman, makes her less than, then it's wrong. So if men, men is made in God's image, he deserves dignity, respect, honor. So women are made in, in God's image, so they deserve dignity, respect, honor. So what if, you're, if your subsequent theology disrespects women, that theology is wrong. You say, well, this verse in the New Testament, it, it, it's very clear that God, the man is made in God's image. So we start with that, that men and women are equal before God, equally um, representing God. And so the church should do the same. Does your church and does our church treat women equally? Equal respect. And that's a tough question that we really need to answer, probably with some self-inspection. Okay, so let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 2, because I know all of us have heard this verse. What's a woman's role? Well, let's see what the Bible says. A woman's role in the old King James is that she is a, she was created to be a helpmeet. What do you, do you remember what that, how was that defined to you? Do you remember? Someone to complete the other person. Support. But the word itself kind of means like a helper, doesn't it? Help meet. Isn't that kind of how it was come, came across? It's like he's. Yeah, help, it's he's complete in the sense. Yeah, like support. Yeah. I just saw um, some, some class notes from Hiles Anderson where it said that the woman's job is basically to make the man great, make him happy, 
great and help him do his job. So he's the he's the one kind of doing the important work, and her job is there just to make sure he's successful. He's, she's a helpmeet, right? Helpmeet helps. Uh, unfortunately, that's not really what the word means. So two things about that word. One, the translation is not wrong, but not the best. So if you look it up in the Hebrew, which is not that hard, especially if you have computer helps. Like New King James says, a helper comparable to him. Uh, CSB says, a helper corresponding to him. I think someone explained it, someone who can look him in the face. Right, someone who's like, equal to him equal to the animals weren't equal to adam they couldn't meet the task they couldn't stand up to him so a woman was created so that she could be equal face to face with him and so one person translates it a ally and a lot of times it's used as a, a military term and what's most helpful is that this same term is used of god himself which i never heard that one single time in an independent Baptist church that I went to every single service three, four, five times a week for 30 years. Went to college, got a master's degree, got another master's degree, went to camp, um, youth conferences, singles conferences, never heard one time, heard plenty of times about the help meet. Never heard one time that God was called the same word. Yeah, I was just looking it up in, I have a, the Robert Alter Hebrew Bible. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, the new one. So yeah, his note sustain. Uh, he has sustainer beside him. The Hebrew, I'm not going to pretend to pronounce it, is notoriously difficult to translate. The second term means alongside him, of opposite him, a counterpart to him. And help is too weak because it suggests a merely auxiliary function, whereas elsewhere it connotes active intervention on behalf of someone else. Yeah. So what's the first rule of Bible words when you don't understand them in one place? You look from other places. So Exodus chapter 18. I'm trying to figure out whether I should go to it on the computer. Is that even a real Bible? If it's on the computer. Um, sometimes it doesn't feel like it, especially when you're trying to find stuff. Okay, Exodus chapter 18. This is the story of Jethro. Remember, Moses is doing too much. Jethro shows up. And so then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he sent her back with her two sons, one of whom's name was Gershom, which translates, I've been a stranger in a foreign land. And the other's name was uh, Eliezer. Now, the Hebrew word is pronounced Ezer. The word for helpmeet is pronounced Ezer. So Eve was an Ezer to Adam. So this guy's name was Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help. So he named his son Eliezer because God was, and in the way we learned it, God was his father's helpmeet. God was Eve to his father. Now, growing up, you would never talk about God that way. Why not? What, what was it about our view of women that would make us uncomfortable describing God as a helpmeet makes it it's because we, it was viewed as lower than men and yet he named his son uh, Eliezer then one more place and this is talking directly about God in Psalm chapter 33 Psalm 33 and verse 20 says our soul waits for the Lord he is our help and our shield Help there being help meet. So God is our Eve and our shield. So what? So that's how Hebrew is helpful because it uses two words as synonyms for one thing. So God is our shield. So what was Eve? She was a shield, in a sense, a defense for Adam. Adam was not strong enough to, to do what God wanted him to. So God created someone who was comparable to him. And God himself says, I am that same kind of person. I'm the help me. I'm the ally. I'm the shield. But when we go back to Genesis chapter 1, God created man and woman in his image. So woman is made in God's image. So it should not surprise us that God is described in feminine terms. Since 
females were made in God's image. So if Eve was created a certain way, the source of that image, the source of that role was God himself. Eve was created in God's image. So Eve's role on this earth was taken from God's role in the world. So God is a helpmeet like Eve was a helpmeet. So whatever women's role in the world is, it's it's can be understood by looking at how God works with his people. And we would never say that God is subservient or a helper in the sense of just sort of a, a, an assistant. Um, so women need to be viewed in the way that God said they should be viewed, which is in his image and as sort of a powerful ally to help us. To Allies are not viewed as sort of working for you. They work with you, work alongside of you. So when did it change? If that's what God created, these sort of counterparts, side by side, face to face, allies working together, equal to each other, defensive, uh, working as sort of a military allies even. Why does the world not look like that? Well, isn't that the quintessential Christian question? Why does the world not look like God wants it to look like? Why is everything so bad? Well, Genesis chapter three, and we find the we find what was taught in churches, not in Genesis chapter one and not in Genesis chapter two. We find it in Genesis chapter three, specifically Genesis three sixteen, where man has sinned, fallen, they eaten the fruit, and God comes down and he gives them the consequences of sin. The serpent is cursed. On your belly, you should go. And then he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman. Then the woman is cursed. After that, the man is cursed. When he says to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for or to your husband, and he shall rule over you. So if you see men ruling over women, it's a result of sin. God did not create men to rule over women. Just like he didn't create man to slave away by the sweat of his brow and produce thorns. or And he didn't create woman to suffer during childbirth. We live in such a modern age that we, we don't see the suffering that childbirth brings or the consequences. No one would ever say that it's good for women to suffer birth complications. We would say, no, we should work against that. We should, have re we should have medicine and doctors and midwives and hospitals and prenatal care and postnatal care so that women can have the most comfortable birth. Like any of the men listening that aren't sure about this, go ask your wife if she should have a more painful birth because God told her to or a less painful birth and see how that conversation goes. Okay, so then follow it up. If, if we should reduce the amount of suffering that childbirth has brought because of sin, then why would we lean into men ruling over women? Which is the same exact source. It's a curse. Which means that Baptist churches that are teaching that men should rule over women are leaning into the curse of sin. Perpetuating the curse of sin. It's as if they were making labor harder. I've also seen that verse used as a example of why it's good to do that. Why suffering because of sin is, yeah. And that would be because it's like, well, it's right there in the Bible. Right. So the application would then be if someone, then everything created to help us work better, faster, and easier is wrong. We should work by the sweat of our brow. So if you drive a car, if you use a phone, if you have a vaccine or if you have medication, any of these things that makes our life easier, if you take an aspirin, you are defying God's will. And immediately every one of our listeners who's listened to us be a podcast <laughs> would be like, no, my job, I, I couldn't do my job without the techno technological advances. Well, God says you should work by the sweat of your brow. Plow the ground and then dust returns to dust. So don't ever help anybody live longer because you need to go back into the dust. So medical care, prolonging life, making your job easier, all of those, God doesn't want any of those. So then it becomes ridiculous. You say, oh, that's not what we'll we shouldn't do that. So then we have to apply that to the whole section. The section is a is the consequences of sin. It's not what God wanted for the world to be. It's what happened after man defied God. 
And there's a little bit of the sovereignty of God wrapped in there. He doesn't let things happen, so he is part of it. He's controlling the world. But in the end, just like we would ease a woman's birth, so we would should try to reduce the ruling of men over women. And so when we use the word patriarchy or um, patriarchal system, that simply means the men rule the women, which is a cursed system. But it goes back. It's not an American problem. It's not a people say everything's about race. It's not a white problem. It's not a Western problem. It's a human problem. Anywhere you go in the world, almost always you're going to find men ruling, just like you're going to find sin everywhere. So we see what God created, and then we see what sin produced. And we want what God created. We don't want what, want what sin produced. And so God created an ally to stand next to man equal to him and mimicking and imitating God, not a subservient slave. Uh, so, okay, so let's move on from there. One of the examples that everybody gets hung up on is Deborah in the Old Testament. What do we do with Deborah? Man, she seems like a really strong woman who was ruling people. So I'm sure we got the same impression, and I've heard this in multiple states' churches, for those who think that women shouldn't be in any leadership position, what was Deborah doing? Well, so I've heard two primary um, takes on it, I'll say. Uh, A, she's either usurping authority. Mm-hmm. Or, wrong. Right. Or she was there to shame the other men because they had God had to use a woman because none of the men were able to be judges right. at that time. Right. Okay, so that's what I've heard too. Here's the thing. What does the Bible say? So Judges chapter 4 is when we find the story of Deborah. So what I think people are surprising how much we know about the Bible and how much we think we know. Judges chapter 4, when Ehud was dead, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, so they go back under oppression. Children of Israel cried out. So something's about to change. This is the cycle of Israel. They sin, and then they are oppressed, um, disciplined, and then they cry out and are relieved. Verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. So that's what the Bible says. Now, how do you become a prophet? So what is a prophet in the Old Testament? I think the one thing we can all agree on is that a prophet gets a word from God. Gives it to his people, Isaiah, Jeremiah. So that means Deborah received a word. For, you couldn't make yourself a prophet, right? You can be a false prophet, but you can't be an actual prophet. There's no indication she was not a false prophet. She was a true prophet, which means that God chose her to give her the words. So she did not usurp it. She couldn't have usurped it, or else she would have been a false prophet. And then God wouldn't have used her to free his people. So she must have been a true prophet, and a true prophet only gets their word from the Lord. So Deborah was made a prophet by God. So Deborah was a prophetess, and she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel and the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now notice, nothing negative has been said. We, we assume a lot of about the passage, but the passage never says anything negative. Then she sent and called for uh, Barak or Barack, like Barack Obama, the son of uh, Abinoam from Kedesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, go and deploy troops? What's the prophet do? They said, Thus says the Lord. So she tells him. Now we think no men rose up, so she had to do it. That is an assumption. The Bible never says that there were no other men, so she had to be made a prophetess. That's an assumption that we bring into the text. And if the Bible didn't tell it to us, where'd we get it from? Well, where do we get any bad idea that we bring into Scripture? It wasn't from God, unless you had a special revelation. So what we've done is we've assumed something. We have assumed that women are never prophets unless something is wrong. And then we come to this passage and say, oh, she must, the men wouldn't step up, so God put her in place. But it doesn't say that anywhere. Not one time, not even an indication of it. Yeah, I would, I would say verse 9 is pretty much where... The whole narrative is built where Barak says he won't go unless Deborah comes with him. Yeah. 
So that's uh, the Bre- yeah. Verse eight. Barak says, right, "If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go." Because she's God's prophet. So if she goes with them, then God's sort of voice is there. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there'll be no glory for you in the journey you're taking. The Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. That's a prophecy. And it happens. Um, yeah, so that I've heard that portrayed as Barak shouldn't have asked for her to go with him. And so as a result, that, set, that second part is a follow-up. Because he asked her to go with her, now he won't get the glory for it. It'll be. Mm. I've heard that too. That's pretty common. The problem is, it's not there. <laughs> right. It you added to the text to come up to that conclusion. We whoever told us that, they added to it. It does not say that. It simply says the general of the army said to the prophet of God, "I want you to go with me because if the prophet of God won't go with me, I'm not going." Which is exactly what Barak should have said. Do we want God's prophet with us or do we not want him? So the prophecy was not for Barak's sake, being handed into the hand of the woman. That wasn't a shame on Barak. That was a shame in that culture on Sisera. He was killed. Well, like they didn't fight with guns. The only way you won a battle, you had to get into a physical altercation. And so to be physically overcome by a woman would be embarrassing for a warrior who's trained his whole life, who's much bigger physically. So to be defeated in physical combat, hand-to-hand combat by a woman would be embarrassing, shameful. And so she's saying he will... The whole text really says women can be used of God to do great things. That's the point of the text. That's why Deborah's there, and that's why Jael is the one who is given the opportunity to kill the enemy of Israel. She's given the opportunity because women are allies and equals to men. And so God is making that very clear in this text that even in a physical altercation, which women would tend to lose because of just physiological reasons, he's saying, I'm going to make it work out. Um, so JL is, is a woman. She's nailed his great story. She waits till he's sleeping and then she takes the tent peg and nails it through his head, nails him to the ground. <laughs> so I saw someone, post something that said a woman said if you can't ha- handle me at my jl you can't you don't get me at my proverbs 31 <laughs> uh so nowhere in the text does it ever say that deborah shouldn't have been the the prophet and she was only a prophet because other men would it's never said if you believe that you've added it to the scripture it never says that there was anything wrong with barrett in fact, he seems to be willing to follow God's voice, even if it was a woman, which let's be honest, in that culture it would have been difficult for a, a, the general of the army to follow a woman for the, all the same reasons it's difficult for men in today's time to follow women. But he, being a follower of God more than culture, said, if you have the voice of God, I want you with us. So Deborah was a prophet because God wanted her to be a prophet. And that's all we know. We don't know anything more than that. And so we shouldn't add anything more to it. And that prophecy continues into the New Testament. Because, you know, it could be the argument, well, that was the Old Testament. So let's go to the New Testament. And we see prophets there and prophetesses there, Acts chapter 2. So now we're in the church age. Now it's for us. Old Testament was for them. That was a previous dispensation or whatever. Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost. Everyone agrees, well, not everybody, most people agree that this is when the church, at least the church began by this point. And so Peter gets up and filled with the Holy Spirit, which is crucial. He said, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So just like Deborah, now every Christian will have the spirit. And so it will be men and women prophesied. So if we are Bible-believing Christians, then we believe that in the New Testament, women are specifically promised to be prophets. My men servants and all my maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Now, do you have a firm understanding of what a prophet is? A New Testament prophet? 
I don't. I'm not setting you up. It's difficult. It's diff- I'm still working through it. I do know it doesn't mean someone who's quiet. <laughs> the very nature of a prophet <clears throat> means that you're speaking. You're declaring what God has said. A, a prophet doesn't declare what God has said. is is not a prophet. So whatever a prophet does or doesn't do, they must declare the word of God to his people. Old Testament prophets did. They took God's word to the people. So this is a promise, and it's a great promise. It's saying that everybody in the, the new kingdom of heaven will receive a filling of the spirit, and everybody gets to prophesy. There's no, there's no distinctions anymore about the kinds of people that get to prophesy. And so in Acts, there's an Acts, a specific example in Acts chapter 21 of this prophecy uh, being fulfilled with Philip's four daughters. So Philip had four daughters, Philip, um, the deacon, I believe. Acts 21 and verse 9. In verse 8, on the next day, we who were Paul's companions depart and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. So they stayed with him. He was an important person and he had four daughters and they prophesied, which is just an example of what Peter had already said before, that the, that your daughters will prophesy. So in the church, in the New Testament church, as far as gender roles go, women were specifically promised to be prophets. That means they've got to do something. So let's skip forward. The text we always hear about is 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And, it, and Paul's giving instructions about how the church. So in, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, when you come together, each of you has a psalm teaching. This is verse 26. Um, verse 30, but if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent for you can all prophesy one by one. Okay. So he's specifically saying when you come together as a church, you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and be encouraged. And then verse 34 is that one where it says, let your women keep silent in the churches. And everyone's like, okay, no women can speak. So they can't preach, but you can prophesy in the church. So then you go back previous chapters two, three previous chapters and you, it's the same section. It's still Paul instructing the churches. And this is where he talks about the Lord's Supper. And where he says in the Lord's Supper, uh, when you come together as a church. So this whole section is about behavior in church. Uh, now, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered to them to you. I want you to know the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is man. The head of Christ is God. So not talking about who's in charge and who's better because Christ is obviously equal with God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. And here's the kicker. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Now, we always want to talk about long hair and head coverings. But what about the part where it says every woman who prays or prophesies? So they've come together. Behavior in the church. Because he says, he goes on to say, um, we have this, not, not this custom here. Or nor do the churches of God. So this whole section is behavior in the church. And when the woman is in the church, when she prays, Paul doesn't even discuss it. He doesn't even argue for or against it. He assumes it. He assumes it because God has already said that women would prophesy. Women prayed all the time. So when a woman is in the church, she can pray and prophesy. And then there's the part about her head being covered. We're not going to get into that because it's, it's not really, it's difficult, but not part of the immediate task. In the church, a woman can pray or prophesy. So how does that mesh with let a woman keep silent? And so what Baptists have done is they say, oh, well, it depends on what they're talking about. If they're talking about preaching, it says, well, the Bible is pretty clear. It says, let a woman keep silent. But when they're talking about singing or praying or something else, then it's like, well, obviously not always quiet. So which is it? Can a woman pray in church? Can a woman prophesy in church? Yes, if she has her head covered, whatever that means. Well, it says keep silence. Okay, so if the Bible doesn't contradict itself, which we don't believe it does, then it must not mean absolute silence. It must, there must be some qualification or we got to toss out one of the chapters. Further, Colossians chapter three, verse 16. 
singing to one another. Let's stop right there. Can you sing and be silent? No. Well, you got to speak. So can women sing? I don't know. I can't think of a person in any church anywhere ever that didn't let the women sing. Certainly not Baptist. So right there, if a woman can sing in church, then there's a qualification, a caveat on let the women keep silent. It's not a blanket statement. So you can't use it to say women can't be preachers. Because if they're, if they're preaching, they're not being silent. Well, if they're singing, they're not being silent. If they're praying, they're not being silent. And what in the world is prophesying? I mean, I don't know exactly, but I struggle to think of a person prophesying, whatever that means, and not getting up and declaring what God has said. And what do you call getting up in front of people and declaring, thus says the Lord? I mean, I'm not trying to push people into a position or not, but when the women prophesy, when the four daughters of Philip prophesied, let's say they were at a conference, they weren't in church. Right? Let's just say they were on the street corner. Name a prophet in the Old Testament. That, what do preachers always say? They quote, I think it's Jeremiah or Isaiah, lift up your voice and cry aloud. Slap the thigh. There's a, there's a place in the Old Testament that says slap the thigh. And so these preachers get up. Maybe you're not yelling and ranting. You're not preaching like the Old Testament preachers. Okay. So should the women do the same thing? Follow that example of prophets. Lift up their voice and cry out. Thus says the Lord. I mean, what's does the Bible say it or not? Where was a prophet quietly in a small group at her house, at his house, meekly and quietly saying, Well, God said Israel. I don't want to I don't want to be too, you know, bold here. No, they were in the streets yelling at the top of their lungs, repent or be destroyed. Thus says the Lord, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Turn back to me, Israel, or you'll be uh, punished. So the prophets prophesy, and women are prophets. They can be, specifically in the New Testament. So they have to speak aloud. They have to, if you want to make a distinction between preaching and prophesying, okay, I'd actually be interesting in hearing that distinction and where the Bible makes the distinction. I'm not saying pro prophesying and preaching are the same. I don't even really call myself a prophet, though some people talk about preachers that way. I'm not sure. But whatever a prophet does, they've got to do it loudly, boldly, publicly, and in front of everybody. Uh, okay, so that's what women are doing. And that's not what Baptist churches have traditionally said women can do. Now, again, we're not talking about the pastor. And you could even make the distinction, well, at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning behind the pulpit, that's the job of a pastor. Okay. That's kind of what we do at our church. What about 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning? What about Friday at a Bible conference? Um, can a woman preach then, prophesy then? Can she get up and tell the men, thus says the Lord? The Bible seems to say, no, no qualifications on that. And it says, well, a woman shouldn't teach or usurp authority. Okay, let's turn over to Acts chapter 18 and see what the Bible says. Verse 24, now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. Wouldn't, that, wouldn't you love to have that description as a right. preacher? Eloquent and mighty in scriptures. I mean, that's the goal. Speak well, and you know the Bible. Came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So right there, Apollos, uh, we saw in 1 Corinthians where uh, Paul's rebuking, he says, some of you say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter, I'm of Apollos. We can see why you'd want to be in this guy's camp. He's eloquent, he knows scripture, he's fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. He's obviously a leader in the church. He's going to be like a Tim Keller or a Paul, Paul Chapel, whoever your guy is, who can get up and really lead people. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, now those are not typical names that we hear, but Aquila is a man's name and Priscilla is a woman's name. I guess Priscilla, people still use the name Priscilla, don't they? Mm -hmm. Kind of an older name, but 
It's a woman's name. So it's a husband and wife, and they they appear other places in Scripture, in Acts. They followed. They went. They traveled with Paul from city to city in different cities. They were a huge help for Paul. Okay. Now, verse 18. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brother and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. So Priscilla being the wife and Aquila being the man. Now, it's interesting that Priscilla's name comes first there. Um, it's not definitive doctrine, but in Greek, when you put words together, names together, usually the senior comes before the lesser. So Priscilla being first introducing them is giving our place of honor there. So back down to verse 26. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Aquila and Priscilla heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So if women are not supposed to teach, then what's Priscilla doing here explaining to Apollos the way, the word of God? Now, some people are going to say, well, she was doing it under the authority of her husband. And I'm looking at the text, and I don't see those words anywhere in here. It says Aquila and Priscilla. And in other versions, different texts, it's going to say Priscilla and Aquila. It doesn't say which was doing it. They took him aside. Priscilla was teaching Apollos with her husband Aquila. So how does that mesh with, with uh, women are not supposed to teach? Because Priscilla is teaching here and, and doing a good job. These were Paul's co-workers. So can women teach? Well, Priscilla did, and she was given a place of honor for it. Helped Apollos, who was a leader in the church. I think it's important too. Like it was Apollos who the the text makes clear was not, you know, it wasn't Sunday school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was Apollos wasn't a kid in Sunday school. No. This is a <laughs> adult right, man like, who was who was viewed very highly. Yes, for his biblical knowledge, fervent in spirit, getting pulled aside by a woman, and instructed in a good way. It wasn't it? There was nothing wrong with that text. It, it was what should have happened. It was a good moment where Apollos learned more about Jesus and these two people were able to help him because they've been traveling with Paul. So they've been learning from the apostle and now they're teaching another person, another preacher. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of God of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Okay. Is this for men or men and women? Everyone knows this is for all of us. Let everyone do this. Singing with grace in your hearts to God. So let the, the word of God, the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Men and women teaching and admonishing one another. Women are supposed to admonish the rest of the church. Not be quiet and don't say anything or know their place or, you know, well, if they have a question, ask. This is saying teaching and admonishing. So if they can't preach, can they get up and can they sing a sermon? Well, that's silly. Well, what's the Bible say? Teaching and admonishing another. Okay, well, that's only for singing. Okay, so a woman can get up and she can sing to the church a song that she wrote. Correcting the people. Well, isn't that what Priscilla did with Apollos? So what the church needs is women to correct godly knowledgeable, trained women, theologically trained women, to correct and teach unequipped preachers. And this has actually happened in Baptist churches in the early days. It's interesting. You'd have these young preachers come into a church, young, unmarried, unequipped, and not respected. The other group in these Baptist churches were older women who were well-equipped, well-trained, but not respected. And so when you read about the history, they would have an affinity towards each other because neither of them were respected, but both of them were pursuing God. And so there was a pattern about this history of young preachers working with older women because they could understand each other. And so the older women would give them the knowledge and the training they needed, and the younger men would be able to do their job and, be, and, and gain respect. That's what the church needs. It needs especially young preachers, but all preachers, all Apollos's who are mighty in word, eloquent, mighty in scripture, to have some women who will sit them down and explain the scriptures more clearly, teaching and admonishing them. 
And that doesn't happen. Men are afraid of that. Men are, oh, no, the women are taken over. The women don't know their place. Um, something's wrong. No, something's scriptural. Unless you think you're better than Apollos or Bible in general. <laughs> uh, then one more place where we see the same thing of women working with men, not over, not under, not outside of, with men. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3. Philippians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Eudodia, and I implore Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. We should have Baptist churches, like Paul, where the women are fellow laborers with the pastor. There should be a group of, of helpers in the church who help the pastor, who, who, who not don't work for him, they work with him. And they should be men and women. Specifically in the gospel together. Mm-hmm. Proclaiming the gospel together. Right. Men can't do it alone. Men shouldn't. The apostle Paul couldn't do it alone. The, the man who had been personally trained by Jesus Christ himself had women who were co-laborers. That's a powerful word. It means you are not on staff under Paul. You're not a, a, an associate or like an assistant. You are there right next to him. And you don't work next to somebody unless you're equipped. But isn't that what God wanted in the beginning? He wanted someone that was fit, an ally. And so what Paul is saying, he goes, I want to name these women. To give an example, all the Baptists who aren't going to name women in their books. <laughs> they weren't just making dinner for the church. They weren't just cleaning the church. They weren't watching the nursery. These women were working with me in the gospel. Well, we, we let women serve. They plan our, our ladies' banquets. Paul's like, okay, well, these women were right next to me in the trenches. Teaching, preaching, serving, ministering, counseling, co-laborers. So should women be preachers? I don't know what you mean by the word preacher, but they should be prophets. They should be teachers. They should be vocal ministers of the gospel. Should they do it to men? Should they preach to, to men? Well, what is preaching? Isn't it proclaiming that Christ died and rose again and that we should follow him? Yes. And so where do we see women doing that? Well, the very first preachers of the gospel were women. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus rises from the dead. Nobody sees him. Then the women show up. Let's go there because this is important. Because I think this kind of answers exactly the question that we all have, that we've all been taught otherwise by man that women shouldn't be preachers. Now, after the Sabbath, it's Matthew chapter 28, first day of the week began to dawn. What do we do on the first day of the week? Isn't that when we have church? Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Angel shows up. The guard shook. Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen. And he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they ran out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. Now, let's not for, let's not get too wrapped up in the story to miss what's being said. The women were instructed by the angels of God, the messengers of God, to take the word of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus, to the disciples. Now, what does a preacher do? They take the word and they bring it to the people. Now, the women did not go back and have a women's only meeting. They didn't have a women's and kids meeting. They went back to the disciples, the men, and preached. If, if telling them that God has raised Jesus from the dead and that we must go look for him and follow him is not preaching, then what am I going to do on Sunday when I say the exact same thing to our people? The exact same thing, that Jesus is Lord. He has died for our sins and he has risen from the dead and we must follow him. I'm bringing the word. Where did I get the word from? It was given to me. And I was commanded to preach it. 
So when a woman preaches, all she's doing is following the very first preachers of the gospel. The literal first preachers of the gospel chosen by God, commissioned by God, were women. And they did not preach to women, they preached to the disciples, the men. And that makes people uncomfortable, but as the, the one good thing we learned in fundamentalism is it doesn't matter if you're uncomfortable. It doesn't matter if you like it. If the Bible says it, we as Baptists are going to follow it. Would we have sat there and listened to those women? I know exactly what we have done. We've done the same thing the disciples did, which was not listen to them. The disciples said, we're not going to listen to women. So what did Jesus have to do? He showed up and he rebuked them because they were afraid. He said, you should have already believed. I've got to show up personally because you wouldn't listen to my messengers. It reminds me of Revelation chapter 7, where Jesus says to the churches, you didn't listen. And now I'm going to show up and remove your candlestick. Jesus says, if you won't listen to my, my messengers, you won't listen to me. So if you won't listen to women preach, who's to say you'll listen to Jesus preach? Is the word different? It's not. And, and the result is the word gets preached. And a lot of people are afraid that if women become pastors, we've been taught to be afraid that something bad's going to happen. Nowhere in scripture does it say that. But I've heard a lot of people talk in fundamentalism, leaders like Jack Hiles, John R. Rice, Bob Jones, so on, that, that women in charge produce heresy. They produce cults. I'd like to ask our listeners, do you know a woman preacher personally who believes the truth? Is there a problem? Are they leading people into cults? No, they don't know anybody, first of all. And what they do is they find a woman preacher who's preaching bad doctrine. But that's ruled out right there. It doesn't matter who's preaching. I can give you 100 men who are preaching bad doctrine. It's not like, well, men shouldn't be preachers because Joel Olstein and, and heretics so there's a lot of fear, but, but in the churches, the Baptist churches, what's the problem? Is the problem that women are leading people astray, or is it that men are abusing women? Which is the problem? That that women are too equipped, they're too qualified, they're too spiritual, they're too um, able to teach? Or in reality, women are not able to teach because they're marginalized. In that book, um, No Little Women by Amy Bird, she says that women's ministries have suffered because they get shuffled off into a room where the pastors won't teach them. They're not allowed to go to seminary. And so they have no training. And then everyone points to them and says, well, see, they're not able to teach. They're not able to teach because we won't teach them. And I say we, I mean the church and the men who have the power in the church because we're the pastors. So that means that women should learn as much about the Bible as men. They should go to seminary. They should go to Bible college, not to become wives and homemakers but to become theologians. Would we keep women away from God? Then why do we keep women away from God's word? And if they have God's word, what are we afraid of? Do they have the Holy Spirit? Do they have God's word? Let them prophesy. And if, it, if it's as bad as we think it is, the Holy Spirit will not let it continue. If the Spirit gave them the gift of prophecy and he gave them the, the word, then the Holy Spirit will monitor and keep it. So, I think we need to uh, take a step back, look at scripture, and stop letting the world and the curse of sin shape our view of women. And my wife wrote this entire uh, podcast for me. I'm just reading it. <laughs> we are going to host a conference soon. And guess what the topic is going to be? We are, you already know because I already talked to you about it. Uh, empowering women. And I'm going to have several women, and this is not going to be at church. It's going to be on Zoom, so it's okay. It's just like um, watching a newscast or something. It's not going to violate anybody's principles. We're going to have several women uh, present a biblical view of how to encourage women, how to strengthen them, how to give them confidence, how to empower them. The biblical word is edify. So we've got uh, one woman here that we're working with. Um, with our church we're working with, there's another woman in North Carolina who's a school teacher and a pastor, a preacher at least, and then another woman in out west who is a principal of a school. So hope we get all them together, have like a one day Zoom conference hosted by History and Hope, and I think it will really encourage, definitely encourage the women, and I think if the men tuned in, they might. Be encouraged like Apollos was.
there's a podcast called Truth's Table, which is led by uh, three black women. Very good. And they said this table, the joke is the table's for women and that the men are welcome, but they have to stand in the standing section. And so they, they're like, we love that men listen to our podcast. I listen to it every time it comes out. And they said, men are welcome, but you're not welcome at the, this is the table for women. So you're welcome to listen. And it's very, it's very offensive to me. Every time I hear it, I, I hears my feelings every time. So, uh, but it's very helpful too, because they're biblical. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at historyandhope.com or messages on Twitter at historyandhope. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or any podcast app of your choice.